following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. So I've got a passage that I would read, I'd like to read out to you, and I've got a talk that I'd like to give, and that it'll probably be when we get to the end, um, it'll be left hanging in the air, and you'll think, what do I do with that? Well, that's your problem, um, but it's just something that's on my heart and spirit to do, and we'll see um, where we go with it. So I don't know if you bought the ancient text. Do you bring the ancient text with you? If you've brought, you might like to go to Luke chapter 23. But if you haven't brought the ancient text and you just like to listen, feel quite free, but um, we'll rip into it. So Luke chapter 23. And I'm really wanting to pick up on the crucifixion, the crucifixion scene. Uh, and it goes like this, Luke 23, 32. That's where I'll start. Now, there were two other criminals who were, take, were taken away with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Father, said Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The people stood around watching, and the rulers hurled abuse at Jesus, and he rescued others, they said. Let him try rescuing himself, if he really is the Messiah, God's chosen one. And the soldiers added their taunts, coming up and offering him cheap wine. If you're the king of the Jews, they said, rescue yourself. The charge was written above him. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the bad characters who was hanging there began to insult Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah, he said. Rescue yourself and us too. But the other one told him off. Don't you fear God, he said. You're sharing the same fate that he is. In our case, it's fair enough. We're getting exactly what we asked for. But this fellow hasn't done anything out of order. Jesus, he went on, remember me when you, finally, when you finally become king. I'm telling you the truth, replied Jesus. You'll be with me in paradise to this very day. By the time of the sixth hour, darkness came over the land. The sunlight vanished until the ninth hour. The veil of the temple was ripped down the middle. Then Jesus, Jesus shouted at the top of his voice, Here's my spirit, Father. You can take care of it now. And with that, he died. And the centurion saw what had happened and praised God. This fellow, he said, really was in the right. So if you were in my shoes this morning, what would you talk on? Well, I mean, what jumped out from that brief account to you? Was there a word, a phrase? Um, was it the translation that I used? The translation is from uh, arguably the lead in uh, New Testament scholar today, uh, N.T. Wright. So it's from his translation. So turn to the person next to you. What would you talk about if you were in my shoes? If you don't like the person next to you, turn around. <laughs> Go behind you. Go to it. Okay. 
Here we go. I don't know what arguably struck you in that passage, but here we have this gruesome scene, I mean, just ghastly, of um, Jesus uh, on, on the tree, on the cross, impaled. And you know, but the thing that struck me was that he, you know, he turned to the person next to him and had a conversation. And you kind of think it sort of is out of fit with the crucifixion scene. It's sort of like, okay, Jesus, you turn to the person next to you too. And so Jesus starts having this conversation with one of the persons um, beside him. And you kind of can't help but think, and I, you know, some people may think this, that, well, it can't have been that bad. If you can turn to the person next to you and have a conversation, being on the cross, you know, can't be that bad. Yes? But you see, the whole point of the crucifixion was to keep you sort of half alive and half dead at the same time. I mean, the crucifixion wasn't an impaling. It wasn't an, a, a hanging. It wasn't over immediately. The whole purpose of the crucifixion was to keep you alive as long as possible. Because that was the agony. And that was the humiliation. To keep you alive as long as possible. And so if you don't mind me doing a bit of an R16 on the cross, I mean, the person who's on the cross is half alive and half dead. The person who's on the cross is covered in blood and flies. The person who's on the cross is being nibbled at by rats and pecked at by crows. The person on the cross is in full view of everybody, almost at eye height level. I mean... The person on the cross can see and talk with those that are friends and family just slightly below. And of course, friends and family feel absolutely powerless. I mean, this is the scene of the cross. And um, despite what Christian artists have attempted to do, when you were impaled on the cross, you were impaled naked. Absolutely. And of course, Christian artists have Jesus' private parts covered because they want it, the cross to seem a little bit more reverent. But actually, no, in the day, you were absolutely stark naked. In other words, the cross was not just about violence. The cross was also about shame. And you were in full eye view of those who are hanging around. And the sexual taunting and the sick humor that would have occurred. And you can just imagine someone on the cross, you know, everything would well up within me, within them, to desperately cover themselves up. But of course, Jesus couldn't because his hands were impaled. So the person, Jesus, who died on that cross, he experienced in the last moments of his life incredible shame. And so our founder is the shamed one. 
And it seems to me that we are to be the church of the shamed. And you're thinking, what do you mean by this, Mick? Well, I'm going to get to that. Are you going all right thus far? Please, if you could be a bit penty. Are you going all right this far? You're still hanging in there with me. People, we are to be a church of the shamed, I think. And what I mean by that is, you see, out there, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, and even in your extended families, there are people who carry shame. Yes? There are a lot of people out there who carry shame. There are people who have done things that they should never have done. And they, their skin bags are just full of shame. And there are people out there and things have been done to those people that shouldn't be done to anybody. And those people carry shame. Now I have a question. When a person carries shame, what is the first thing that they want? What is the first thing that a shamed one looks for? Tell the person next to you. Go to it. Okay. It goes, this is where I'm up to, right or wrongly on this. But when a person is carrying shame, especially the person to whom things have been done that shouldn't have been done to anybody, What they really look for and hope to bump into sooner than later is someone who can say to them, oh yes, I've been there and that's been done to me as well. In other words, me too. But for the people who carry shame and they have done things to others that they should never have done to anyone, those perpetrators, they also can't wait to hear someone say to them, oh yeah, I've been there as well. And I've done that dastardly deed to others as well. In other words, they, they long to hear the words, you too. In other words, shame-filled people the cure for their shame is empathy. Where they hear the word, oh, me too. Or they hear the words, oh, you too. Because that empathy is a cure for shame. Yes? Did you get that? Now, these people who carry shame, and there are so many in Auckland. We lived here for... How many years? 22? Something like that. And, you know, there's so many people who carry shame, and it's such a shame. But, you know, the last place that they will go to is our churches. Yes? The last place that they will come to, they dare not darken the door dare not cross the threshold of our churches. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why is it that the people who are currently carrying shame 
this would be the last place that they would come to. Why? What do you think? So some of you are already beginning to voice things out. Well, voice it to the person next to you. Have that conversation. Why not come to a church? Go to it. Does, does somebody want to yell something out? Why do you think that people don't come to our churches, those that are especially carrying shame? Anybody got a view? Judgment. Who's got another view? Beg your pardon? Shy about it. Absolutely. Anyone else? Beg your pardon? Rule givers? They're scared of getting just hit by three by two and another rule? Is that what you say? Anybody else? Yes. They, they think they may need to be good first. Another one. Michelle, yes? Uh, again, a fear of judgment. Something else? Okay, arguably so, that they prefer the darkness. I mean, they've wrapped their identity around it. Absolutely, that can be the case for some. So look, let me give you where I've got to on this. As I've thought about this, because I'd love to see the shamed come to shore community. There should have been about 100 hallelujahs at that point. <laughs> Amen, you know. But where I've got to on this one is that I think, tend to think that people out there, if you don't mind me putting it that way, when they think of us in our churches, I don't know, they have, I think, an image of the church. And then secondly, I think they have a distorted image of God. So let me deal to the first one and then I'll get to the second one. So the first one, I think, is that they have an image of the church and it's possibly arguably accurate. And the image that they have of our churches in New Zealand, not sure community, but the images that they have, or the image that they have of our churches in New Zealand, is that really church is a posh place for posh people. In other words, the church is a place for proper people. I mean, church is a place for polished and pretty people. The church is a place for the put together people. I had to work on my peas. Uh, but do you, and you know, when you look at a lot of people filing into our churches Sunday after Sunday, there's an accuracy to that description. That there's a lot of polished, put together, pretty, proper, posh people going to our churches in New Zealand on our Sundays. Absolutely, that is right, I think. But then, so they don't feel as though they would belong. Would you agree? But then there's this other thing that I think that they have out there, and maybe some people have it in here, and it's a distorted image of God. I mean, this image of God that they have is that God is large, that God is bald, that God wears shiny white clothes, and in heaven, God has got latex gloves on. And then with bleach and disinfectant, God is forever scrubbing the walls of heaven because he wants heaven to be, you know, spick and span, neat and tidy, doesn't like dirt. And you know, if God does eat and he has leftovers, 
Oh, he's got a well-organized fridge with Tupperware. And if God, you know, sort of, I don't know, has a wardrobe and has too many shoes, he's got one of those shoe dividers so that every shoe is in its right and proper place. And if God does have a garage, you know, it is just speck and span. In other words, the image that they have of God out there, which I think is a grossly distorted image, is that God can't do mess. God can't do filth. God can't do dirty, grubby little corners. God can't do dirt. God can't do shame. And so they don't want to come anywhere near this God. But you know, when you look at the cross, you look at the filth and the violence, and the shame, and the accusations, and the sin, and the attacks of the cross. You see a God. Now listen. You see a God, a God who knows how to do dirt. You see a God who actually walks towards the dirt, immerses himself in the dirt. You see a God who gets filthed and dirtied and immerses himself in it, absorbs it, takes it into himself. You see a God who can do dirt. I'll never forget the story that I read recently of a guy by the name of Richard Spencer. And Richard Spencer, you know, he belonged to a gym club. And this Richard Spencer, he was the leader of an organization that was just, I mean, you know, he was anti-Semitic, he was homophobic, he was racist, he was anti-women, he was like, and just what poured out of Richard Spencer's mouth was just obnoxious, filthy, And then there was a professor at the gym club and she thought, we don't want him here. So she started up a kind of a protest movement to get rid of this guy, biff him out of the gym club and it succeeded. And he got tossed out. And when I read that, I thought, wow, he'd be, he'd be welcome in another club. He'd be welcome in our church club, surely. With a founder like ours, who can do dirt, with a founder like ours, who can do Richard Spencer? Do you know what our God would say? Richard, I welcome you as you are. I don't want you to stay as you are. But I will run towards you, Richard. And I will welcome you as you are. You belong in our church club. Yes? I mean, isn't it true that the most ungodly person is welcome? 
in our church club. I welcome you as you are. I don't accept you as you are, but I welcome you as you are. So I've got to start to land this. Can you, you remember I said at the beginning, I'm going to share something that's going to hang in the air? Can you see it hanging in the air? And you think, what do, I, what do we do with this, Mick? So I'm going to land it now. What's the point of what I'm sharing? The point is this, friends, is that our founder was a naked king. See, his coronation was the cross. You know all about this. But he's a naked king. And what he says to each of us here in Shaw community is that you guys here, you have got to get naked with each other. Now, let me qualify that. (laughs) What it means is, is that if you could only share your filth with each other, if you could only do your own dirt with each other, if you could only get naked and absolutely transparent with each other, if you could do that, I know that that would be difficult. You know, like everything would well up within you. I don't want to go there. I don't want to tell this person next to me what I'm currently struggling with. You know, I had to, I had to be somewhere recently. And so, I, you know, like I didn't want to, I, you know, and I sort of said, well, look, in my 20s as a Christian, you know, my signature sin was arrogance. And then in my 30s, my signature sin I was impurity. And like as I was sharing this, like everything was welling up with me. I don't want to do this. And then I said in my 40s, my my signature sin was anger. And I had a road rage episode. In my 50s, my signature sin was, you know, how I'd really dropped the ball with my own kids. And in my 60s, my signature sin currently is, I mean, I like to drink, but sometimes I can have one glass too many. And you know, yesterday we did this thing yesterday with my dear wife, and I didn't really know where she was going to go, which is the case of our marriage half the time. And, but as she, she shared so, I mean, for those that were there, she shared so honestly about herself, and she said that for most of her Christian life, she was, a, she was dead useless at certain things. Didn't you? And you know, I, I heard that, and I thought, she's naked with the seminar group yesterday. But it's hard. But if we can get naked with each other and we can learn how to do this in safe ways with each other and confidential ways and people-honoring ways and we learn the hidden rules about doing, you know, this kind of emotional, hazardous stuff with each other. If we can do that in our marriages... And as leaders come up, 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 up here, and they don't just do the Facebook, Facebook profile with the church, you know, my shiny identity, but they share their grubby stuff with you guys. I've been a pastor, and I learned soon on into being a pastor that if I shared my stuff, it gave people to, gave them permission to share their stuff with each other. And we need to see more leaders do that. 
And we had small groups in the last church that I pastored. Oh, they were so safe. So we changed them. We came up with new types of small groups where if you're in that small group, I'm sorry, you're going to have to share all and that's all. Because we desperately wanted to get naked with each other. And here's where I landed. If you, as sure community church, learn how to be naked with each other, where you do dirt together, and you learn how to do that, I'll tell you what our, our Father in heaven will do. He will send the shamed here. You won't even have to go out and look for them. He will send them here. And why will he send them here? Because he'll see from heaven, oh, at last there's a church who've learned how to do dirt together. And it's a safe place. And it's a confidential place. And it's a people-honoring place. I can send the shamed here. Because these guys have learned how to do it with, the, with each other, with themselves. And then what will happen is the church of the shamed will become the church of the washed. Please, for the sake of the shamed, walk closer together. And have courageous conversations with each other. Not just for your sakes. It is good for you. But that you might become a church. Where the shamed will cross the threshold. Amen? Tell the person next to you what you thought about that. And I'll just do a runner. Have that conversation amongst yourselves. Have a chat. Okay, people. I'm to the volume of conversation is commendable. I just overheard someone down the front pews here or the front rows saying, oh, my background X, Y, Z. And I think, oh, that is just so good to hear, that kind of transparency that's coming. Um, if you want to learn more about how to do this kind of stuff, um, these two books do capture it. So there's the Alongside a Book and the Wild Ones. I mean, this really one, this one here, take a walk on the wild side, people. Don't forever stay on the mild side. Sometimes I see people take a walk on the mild side, and I just want to reach for the nearest bucket. So, uh, no, but it's true. Our churches are full of, I don't know, sweet people. And we've just learned how to be too sweet with each other. Would you agree? Yes. So we just kind of need to have a rub up. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, I've got to shut up. See ya. <laughs>